Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to Relationship Wednesdays. I'm Dr. Nefertiti Noel. And I'm Darren Noel. Hope you had a great 4th of July. We've got, since 4th of July weekend is a family weekend, we have a topic that's really about family matters and that affects families uh, across the globe, but definitely in our, in our local area. So, Today, um, first let me give you a little bit of background. I am a therapist and I run a thriving private practice right outside of Chicago, Illinois. We do individual therapy, group therapy, um, family therapy, and organizational consults um, full-time. So, Darren, what do you do? Yeah, my background is in corporate America and here at New Orleans Associates. I focus on life coaching, career counseling, and resume consults. Absolutely. Good stuff. So today, two numbers I want you to write down. Write down our office number, 630-428. Two three four four because you're going to want to get a hold of our guest today. Her name is Kelly Riley. Again, the telephone number is six three zero four two eight two three four four, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about self injury and self harming behavior, which is something we're seeing a lot of growth in, unfortunately, in in uh, our local communities. And then write down the telephone number today in case you have any comments or questions. The telephone number for calling in today is 323-693-3835. So, so let's hear a little bit about Kelly's background. Sure. Uh, Kelly Riley, she has a master's degree in social work. She's a licensed clinical social worker, and she's been practicing for over 15 years and been here in the Wall Associates for over two years. So we're very glad to have Kelly on the show. Welcome, That's Kelly. Good. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Kelly, tell us a little bit about the work that you do. I'm often amazed at your ability to connect with kids, um, especially the adolescent population, and how even the, the kids that people think are difficult are the kids that just work so well with you. And So tell us a little bit about that. I've always had a knack for connecting with those more difficult uh, students or clients that really don't feel like they have anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off in residential treatment where I really started to see a lot of the self-injury. Mm-hmm. And then when I worked in the high school, especially with the um, Naperville students, I started to see it more and more. And, of course, in the private practice with you guys here at Noel and Associates, um, you know, we still see it. And it, it really affects families deeply. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been working with them a lot and, really navigate their emotional responses to finding out that their child or another loved one is hurting themselves. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what, what self-injury, because you're talking about self-harm and self-injury, so can you start with, with self-injury a little bit and tell us what that means? Sure. There's a wide range of different actions one can take, but the definition of self-harm or self-injury really just is referring to anything that you do to intentionally hurt yourself. Um, the common ways are cutting, scratching your skin, burning yourself, hitting yourself or banging your head up against the wall when you're trying to express a very overwhelming emotion. Okay. Okay. Can it go as far as burning? Do you see kids that are doing that? Yes, it can go as far as burning, picking objects into your skin, even swallowing things sometimes. Um, it also can include driving recklessly, binge drinking, um, or taking too many drugs and having unsafe sex. Okay, so this is this is like a wide range of things. And is it is it because I've heard of people that do these things maybe once or twice? Is that considered self injury, or is it the pattern, the regularity that that defines it? It can be just once. Um, there's no pattern. Anytime you're experiencing those overwhelming emotions, it, it could happen just once. Typically, it will pop up again mm-hmm. if that um, becomes your coping skill. So it mm-hmm. can become an impulsive habit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, here, when we work with those 
clients or individuals, we like to help them develop better coping skills when they're experiencing those emotions. Okay. So what you're telling me is that self-injury or self-harmful behavior is basically a negative coping skill that people are using to make themselves feel better? Of course. It helps in the moment. Um, but it's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a wound when you really need stitches. Okay. So it might help you feel better in the moment, um, and it might help later on when you're having those feelings come back, but it's not going to help the actual reason that you wanted to hurt yourself in the first place. Is it, is it a suicide offense? I have a lot of people who say, Dr. Noble, I think my daughter wants to kill herself. So is self-injury the same as a suicide? It is not. A lot of people, that's a very common question. I think sometimes parents immediately go to that, oh, my gosh, my kid's trying to kill themselves. Um, do not be afraid to ask your child that question. Um, however, it's actually an action that they take to continue living. So they're actually doing the opposite. They're trying to live. They want to stay alive and continue having life experiences. They just don't know how to navigate those feelings. People who do self-injure are at a higher risk, though, to commit suicide later on if they do not seek professional help. Like I said, it can become an impulsive um, habit. So a lot of times accidents can happen if they are cutting their, their wrist, but their intention is not to kill themselves. Is it ever just to get attention? I also have parents who come in and say, Dr. Noble, I think my kids just want attention, so I've ignored the self-injury because I don't want her to try to manipulate me with that. What's, what's your stance on that? Yeah, that comes up a lot as well, especially in the school. Sometimes I get that response from other students as well. Oh, well, so-and-so is just trying to get attention. They don't have a lot of friends. Um, do not ignore it. That is the worst thing you can do. Definitely talk to your child and seek help. Um, they they don't want attention. They're actually very shameful of their behavior. So it's just the opposite. So what happens when you see, because I see a lot of parents would say, I didn't know that Susie was doing anything. I didn't know that Bobby was hurting himself. What should a parent be looking for or caregiver be looking for? There are different things that you can look for. It is something that's easy to hide. Um, so if you are a parent listening out there and, and you found out that your child is hurting themselves, you know, it's not your fault that you missed it. Um, don't be angry at them for not coming to you. All those are, are common emotional responses. But signs to look for are unexplained wounds or scars that you may see. Um, if you're doing their, your child's laundry still, you may see blood on their clothing. Um, you might see sharp objects or cutting instruments lying around their room. Okay. Um, or they might have frequent accidents and, and always have a really good excuse as to why they're getting hurt. But if it's happening a lot, we may want to look into it a little bit more. So if, so if a parent has a kid, I just kind of want to bring it to my parents, that they're seeing wearing long T-shirts all of a sudden and um, there's always a nick, a wound, a cut, a sore that's healing, they should start that. When should they get alarmed about that? Um, just, I think you know your child best, and if they're starting to cover up and spending long time, a long time in the bathroom, I mean, it seems like they're a long time in the bathroom and getting ready, but if it, it feels wrong as a parent and they're in there too long or spending a lot of time isolating themselves in the bedroom, that's when you want to address the issue and ask them if something's going on or ask them if you can see their arm. Okay. Now, what what about that parent that says, I don't really know, I don't want to confront my kid about that situation? What do you suggest for that parent? Uh, call, call in or seek some professional help if you are have a counselor or, uh, you know, a support group in the area. A lot of times hospitals will have some things that, some services that people can use. So you, you recommend that a parent start somewhere. 
with a phone yeah. call, with a contact, with reaching out to somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't be ashamed to get help, you know. If you're a parent, you're concerned, you know, I don't know if my child is self-injured, I asked a question, go ahead and make the call. Better safe than sorry. What about the parent that says, okay, so I've moved in my kids' room, I found paper clips, I found evidence that something's going on, I read their Facebook, I looked at their Twitter account, I found out that they're self-injuring. Is it that, that parent that feels like breaking privacy to talk to their kids, how do you feel about that? I think as a parent, we, we all do some research on our kids behind their back. So, again, call in if you don't feel comfortable approaching your child on their own. I think just offering and providing that additional support um, with a professional counselor is, is most appropriate. Is this only girls? Because you talked about strong emotions. Is this only girls that's doing that? Absolutely Because okay. I've been noticing a younger men, maybe 20s or so, that are also doing this behavior as well. Yes, absolutely. Then you have some statistics for us. Yes, yeah, sure did. We have, uh, this is from HealthyPlace.com. This is information on self-injury and self-harm. Uh, again, this is some statistics that they have out there. But again, take it with a grain of salt. Let me also say before Darren reads the stat that um, not everybody reports self-injury. Not everybody reports what's happening. Not everybody will consider what they're doing self-injury. Some people under-report, and then I've had patients that over-report. Um, they scratch their arms and they say, see, I self-injury. So when we listen to statistics, we're not trying to scare you, but we want you to hear the numbers so that you can see how big of a problem this is becoming. Absolutely. So according to this, it says each year between one and one in five females and between one in seven males actually engage in self-injury. Also, 90% of people who engage in self-injury or self-harm begin in their teens or pre-adolescent years. Okay. So pre-adolescent is those tr- those tweener years. That's uh, 10, 11, 12. Right. 10, 11, 12. You know, that's can be awkward age and stuff like that. Kids growing. You're not quite a teenager, but you're out of elementary kind of mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because it can be an awkward time in a child's life. And that's when emotions also, Kelly was talking about these heavy emotions, that's when emotions start to build up too. Like kids are frustrated, um, they don't know how to manage it. Maybe they've got, you know, a little hair and they want a lot. Maybe they've right. got a lot of hair they want a little. Middle school can be really hard for people. That 10, 11, 12 age is one of those really kind of quirky uh, moments. Absolutely. Very challenging in anybody's life, no doubt about that. So a lot of times you do need some help managing through that. Okay, we also have nearly 50% of those who engage in self-injury have been sexually abused. I found that as an interesting uh, statistic. And they say females comprise about 60% of those who engage in self-injury. Sex or 60? 60%. Okay. Females, 50%. About 50% of those who engage in self-mutilation begin around the age of 14, and they do carry it into their 20s. Okay. And so it's also important to know that when we read stats, we're talking about a bell curve. This isn't to say that someone older or younger than that may not be actively um, participating in some of these not-so-great behaviors. Kelly, let me ask you a question. How does someone, because this is a very shameful topic for people, how, how do you work with the client that comes in with this concern? I think it's really important to acknowledge that they're self-harming. Um, and it helps. Okay. It helps them. I think it's scary for parents to admit that this is something that's helping them get through it. But I think if they're able to acknowledge, okay, I'm doing this because it is helping me carry on, then they can start to look at reasons, okay, why am I doing this? What's triggering this mm-hmm. impulse? Um, and then depending on why you're doing it, creating an alternative coping skill. Okay. So that's one of the things you help people do is create that alternative coping skill that they can use that will work. Absolutely. Okay. Just substitute it right in there for the self-injuring. But usually something positive like working out or... Sure, or listening to music even, taking a shower or bath. Um, talking to a friend, 
So something when that impulse of self-injury happens, you're suggesting that we, we push right in with something better and, and different from that negative impulse. Okay. Let me ask a question. I'm, I'm, you're running a group coming up soon. So for those of you that don't know, Kelly will be running a group um, starting July 17th on self-injury and self-harm. Can you talk a little bit about that group? Yeah, in the group we will be, you know, looking into the reasons that people injure, um, specifically helping individuals that attend the group really start to identify triggers and some of those overwhelming emotions that happen right before they feel like hurting themselves. Okay. Um, so kind of looking at what's going on in their life, um, kind of who, what, where, when, why before they hurt themselves, and then figuring out what coping skills going to work for them. Some people like to draw. Maybe they want to, you know, just put on some music, take a bath, or maybe they, you know, want to join a club after school and, and have some social interaction so that they don't feel so isolated. So so do you feel like the group is, is a place where people can come and express what's happening for them in a safe environment? Absolutely. I think peer counseling, especially at that age, lets them know that you know, they already feel awkward. They're in middle school a lot of times. They're in high school. Um, they have a hard time connecting with their peers, and they're also trying to um, differentiate themselves from their family as well. So they're kind of isolated as it is, and also trying to navigate a lot of these hormones and going through puberty. So peer counseling can be very beneficial at that age. And then as the clinician, you're kind of guiding the group with the right way to go and offering suggestions for what they should be doing. Yeah, and then we'll practice using those those skills um, so that they, you know, kind of form that new habit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then do, do you suggest what, what type of demographic are you looking for for the group? Which, how does a parent know, hey, let me call in right now and, and get my kid in this group? What ages should be for that group? So we know ages 13 to 18 is what we're talking about. Okay. But are you are we looking, are you looking to, to help people that are just starting with self-injury that parents just found out? Like, can it be severe? Where are you, where are you looking to grab people from? I, I think wherever you fall on the spectrum, it's good to experience the group counseling because you're going to get that feedback from somebody maybe that, oh, I just tried this once, but here's, you know, so-and-so sitting next to me that's maybe self-injured five times or ten times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to know that you can stop at any time, but that it can also continue very easily. So I think wherever you fall on the spectrum, you can benefit from this group. And what about the parent that says, gosh, Kelly, I would love to bring my kid in, but I don't want somebody teaching my kid new tricks, so to speak. So what do you suggest with that? Sure. I think uh, Facebook, Twitter, a lot of the social media accounts and media in general can really glorify self-injury, and that's part of the reason why we're seeing this huge trend. Um, that will not be occurring in the group. While we acknowledge that it may be serving some kind of purpose in your life and helping you get through a difficult time, um, it is not glorified. So we will not, I, I understand that being a concern as a parent, but we certainly will not be, um, you know, promoting stories it, right. or, you know, how do I do it? Things because even though it's, it's not really a help, it's a perceived help, right? Like they right. think that it's helping them feel better, but in the end, you're just stuck with the same things that you had before and scars, like. To, to deal with that as well. Exactly. Okay. And, and what about um, kids that have done groups before? What would be different about this group, do you think? Okay. Because I know you talked about at the very end of the group that the kids will be able to talk to their parents about some of the things that they learned and be able to share some coping skills and kind of debunk some of the myths that parents may have. Yes. We will invite the parents to join us. And the, the individual, their child in the group will be able to share 
as little or as much information, but I'll also be there to answer questions that parents have um, and, and do a wraparound, okay, now that group is over, what services are appropriate at this point. And so it's not going to just end and then you're going home with your child. You don't really know what they learned. You don't really know what to do next with them. We'll provide that wraparound service for you. And you're good at being able to pull resources as well, right? So if there's some other services that you find out the kid needs maybe a higher level of care or a lower level, you're able to kind of help navigate those things as well? Absolutely. I think as, as the students or patients start to share why they're injuring, we can kind of figure out what's going on. A lot of times it does lead back to some kind of trauma or, um, you know, something going on at home. So, you know, as parents, I think we need to be prepared to address any issues that may be occurring inside the home, not in a blameful manner, um, but how do we make this child feel more comfortable? And, and how do we help parents address that? Because you just brought up a good point. A parent may feel blamed if Susie Snowflake says, listen, Mom, basically I'm just because you're a jerk. You always yell at me. You always scream at me. You want me to clean up, and I don't want to clean up, and I'm just getting overwhelmed. How do we how do we address it where it's not mom and dad as usual? It's your fault. How do we make it? How do we make it more um, a safer environment as a punishing environment? How do we do that? I think really guiding those conversations within the group and inviting the parents at the end of the group. Um, you know, we can help model those conversations. And how do they go and and what to do when our child blames us? Because in reality, as parents, we're going to get blamed pretty much for everything that a child doesn't, you know, like or isn't happy with. Um, so I think just almost creating a go-to response and a, a go-to dialect to have your child when they do begin to blame you. Okay, so taking away some of the blame and putting in place maybe some accountability but not fault when we talk about this group. And then after the group, are you? can you do individual therapy with people? Yes, I do do individual therapy. I also do family therapy. So if there are issues at the home, um, we can bring the parents in. I, I can't stress enough yeah. the importance to have the parents involved. So, you know, parents work full time. I do have evening hours. Um, I do like to have the parents in at least once a month just so they're aware of what we're working on at therapy so they can implement it and encourage it at home as well. Why, why do you think parent involvement is that is that important? Do you really think that a parent helps shape the future for a child? Absolutely. I think you're the biggest influence in your child's life, um, whether they're home a lot or not home, um, the, whether they like you that day or, or hate you the next, you're still the biggest influence. And how do we handle, because you, you briefly touched on, social media and how social media can glorify things. Do you have a suggestion for how parents can manage or help manage the social media for their kids? Yeah, I think uh, being involved in your parents and your child's social media activity and also teaching them. I think everything kind of got away from us very quickly and we had all these apps on our phones and they want to download. Um, I think it's really important to teach your child how to use those accounts safely. Okay, so, so you... Go ahead, Darren. No, I was thinking, because, I think we mentioned it before, there are actually pro self-injury websites out there that I hear about. There are. So you really have to watch what your kids are getting involved in. They can be just do some searching on the web and come up with some pro self-injury, encouraging them to do self-injury. So you really got to watch it with the kids are viewing on the Internet or on the phone or whatever the case may be. I would also say music. Wouldn't you also say that sometimes music can be sort of dark sometimes? Um, sure. You know, like I forgot where, where the soundtrack is from, but there's a song I listened to from maybe Danny Darko, and he says, why is it that sometimes I feel like my life would be better off dead? So I don't get influenced by that, but I could see how a kid may hear that and say, 
wow, that kind of resonates with me or I relate to that. So do you suggest that parents kind of know what their kids are listening to? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of messages, and especially with how glorified it is becoming and popular, a a lot of bands are really touching on the subject and singing about it in their songs. And it's important that parents really tune in to what their their child's listening to and even just having open conversations about those lyrics and what does it mean to you and, you know, is it influencing you? So becoming a parent that you'd never wanted to be that said, Billy Bob, you cannot listen to that song or, or hear that music because it's influencing your behavior. Sure. And have you noticed or do you think there's a trend where kids are being influenced but they don't actually realize that? Absolutely. They don't realize, you know, when they're scrolling through their news feed or looking at pictures or even when they're listening to songs, you know, while they're with their friends, they don't realize. But I think when they go home and then they have these big feelings or these, you know, overwhelming responses to interactions with a boy, you know, in their math class, um, all of that kind of can settle in and, and they maybe can get some ideas from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Earlier you were giving us a list of some things that, that are myths about um self-injury. And so one of the myths you said is people who cut or self-injure are trying to get attention. Um, what do you think that's about? You know, I think if they, you know, do it on their arms or do it somewhere that you can see and somebody ends up seeing it at school or a parent ends up seeing it at home, it, it is very easy to jump to that conclusion and, oh, well, you wanted me to see this. You must want me to know how bad you're hurting. Um, I think we kind of touched on that. In reality, they're, they're very shameful of it. Maybe they forgot to cover up that day, um, or maybe they do want somebody to know that they're hurting. But it, it's not to seek attention. It's because they want to receive some kind of help and support. So it's like a cry for help. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes parents get upset when they say that was attention seeking, but but actually it might have been, right. and it's okay to give your kid some attention and maybe teach them that they don't have to do something negative to get that attention. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that the families that spend more time together see less of this with their kids? You know, I don't know. I think just being more involved and, and not letting them have hours on the, on the internet alone or hours in the bathroom alone. Um, definitely being more present helps. It, it increases the opportunities that they have. Okay. Okay. So what do you feel about some parents, you know, get into this thing about lock doors, don't lock doors with their kids. You, you know, some parents want the door open so they can walk in anytime they want. Some people want it closed. Do you have an opinion on that? I, it depends on the child. I think privacy is very important developmentally where your child is. Um, but if you fear that they're self-harming or you've seen any of these warning signs, it's very important that you don't give them that privacy that they're, you know, if it's it's becoming a safety concern, absolutely. You know, I think it's appropriate to not allow them to lock their door. Okay. So also they have to earn, earn that level of privacy. You know, if you can't handle that level of privacy, I'm not going to extend that to you. Right. You know, I mean, right. I, you know, just like a driver's license, you know, you may be of age, but guess what? I can tell my child's not ready to drive yet. Guess what? You're not going to be driving. Well, and like you said, if they're, they're crying out for help and seeking that attention, okay, well, you've got my attention now, right. and, you know, I, I need to make sure you're safe. And I think ultimately, if they're mad and screaming, I hate you, and, and they're trying to lock the door, ultimately, inside, they're happy that you're trying to make sure they're safe. Or at least you know you're doing everything you can to keep them alive. So whether they're happy or not, so the hope will be that eventually one day they grow up and go, Mom, you, you saved me. Thanks for that. Yeah. 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 But also I think that uh, the teenagers are more and more silent with their parents but more vocal online. So there's lots of things that they're telling their friends. Like I've seen news feeds for 
people that say things like depressed today, don't know what I'm going to do, and parents never see this stuff, you know. And I feel like maybe if you, I'm sure that in the group you're going to talk to the parents about searching through to find some of this information out. Right. Well, because, you know, parents used to just look under the bed or look for the journal and read through what their child is writing, but you're right, now they're putting it online. So there are there are certainly ways to um, screen that. I didn't even think about, like you mentioned, that's like the, the new diary, right? Your right. social media is a new diary. You tell them everything that happened today, how you feel today, you feel depressed, you feel happy, you feel sad, you feel overwhelmed. People put that out all the time on social media, but it's really almost taking the place, like you mentioned, taking the place of the diary. Absolutely. So parents, just like Kelly mentioned, have to be really alert to what's happening with, with their kids. There's another thing that you said, um, people who self-injure are crazy and or dangerous. Faction or fashion? Fiction or truth? What do you think about that? Uh, fiction. I think okay. it's... it's the old, you know, we're scared of what we don't know. Um, so it can be scary if somebody's, you know, cutting themselves with razor blades. That may scare some other children in the class, or that may be scare you as a parent, absolutely. Um, but I think treating your child as though they're dangerous or scary um, can be very harmful at that, that vulnerable state. So, you know, do your best to control that response and seek professional help if you need to, or you know, look on the internet to educate yourself on, on what cutting is all about. Hopefully some of the information that we've given tonight helps it not seem so scary and dangerous. Right. And I think also that's why you were saying it's important for the whole, the family needs to be a treatment, right? right. Not just, we can't just identify through the snowflake or Billy Bob as the main issue. We have to look at the unit as a whole. Right. It's not happening just to that individual. It does happen to the whole family. Absolutely. Okay, so little Bobby, little Billy, you go ahead and therapy. I'm going to stay out here and let me know how it goes. You can't do that. You guys got to be engaged in it. But there are some parents that do that. At least I found that with parents will drop the kid off. Kid comes upstairs, the parents right. wait in the car, they go get a Starbucks. And a lot of times I think the kid is like, wow, like even though this is a big issue, right. we're still outside and I'm still in here. So we want to make sure that at least in the group, that at least in the fifth week we're offering the parents a chance to come in and have a look at what's really happening for the kids. Absolutely. Yeah. There's something else you wrote. You said um, if wounds aren't bad, it's not that serious. Sir, so you had used the example of, oh, look, I scratched my arm. Mm -hmm. um, I just self-injured, but I'm going to stop. I'm not going to scratch anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be that simple. Um, it could, you know, be more severe, but the actual wound itself, isn't the concern. It's simply the thought process and the impulse of hurting yourself or causing some kind of pain um, that we want to address. I mean, I think that's important for parents to know. You know, oh, my kid's not bleeding all over the place. He's not going to the ER. He's fine. He or she is fine. Mm -hmm. But no, but they do have bars, so they do have uh, blood in some, you know, dots of blood. They are going to the emergency room or coming home from school. What happened? Black and blue mark. What happened? What's going on? You yeah, know? they're not taking drugs. Right, right, right. They get good grades. Yeah. Um, but he gets upset. Sometimes he bangs his head up against the wall. That's mm -hmm. still a serious issue to address. Mm -hmm. You want your child to have better coping skills so that they can become adults and learn how to manage these emotions. And, and have you seen that people that start at a certain level, if they don't get intervention, the, the types of wounds or the aggressivity of what happens is increasing? It definitely can progress. It puts the child at risk to seek Eventually, you know, that's going to stop working and they're going to seek, um, you know, more se severe actions to self-soothe. That's a great point. 
So, I mean, it really is something that needs to be addressed. You can't let it go, close your eyes, and, you know, or be like, I should put your head on the ground and hope it's just going to go away. You need to be, as a parent, be engaged in there and try and help them, help a child, but you can. So, so Kelly, what's the way for people to get in contact with you? How can people find out more about you? Um, we do have the website, noelleassociates.org. Uh-huh. And um, I have a, a little video clip on there. So you can click on me and send me an email or call the office directly at 620-428-2344. Um, it's really important that if you do suspect any kind of injury happening, um, you know, or even if you think that they haven't done it yet, but that they might, if you check their Facebook and, you know, things that are concerning. It's important to come on in, let us do an intake and assess what kind of level of support your family needs at the time. Okay. So so do you think that people should punish their kids for this behavior, or do, do you think they should set an appointment first and kind of figure out what to do? Yeah, come come talk to somebody first. It's easy to get angry. That's one of the very common emotional responses. But you do want to try and stay calm. Um, you know, their emotions are already out of control if they're injuring them. That you keep your emotions calm and, um, you know, decide – what's going on before you deliver some kind of consequence. Okay, good. And when does the group start in order for the self-injury group here in the Wall Associates? Thursday, July 17th. Um, we go from 6 o'clock to 7.15. Kelly will be running the group. As you've heard tonight, she's got a lot of great information. And, of course, she didn't give it all the way here. There's going to be more in-depth things to talk about in groups. And the Fobby group is really an intensive, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Kelly, to give people the information they need, the skills they need. Yeah, it, it can be intense, but I think that, it's a safe environment, um, and it's important that they interact with their peers during this time of vulnerability. Absolutely. Kelly, thank you so much for coming out. We appreciate you staying after the day. Um, if you want to get in office at 630-428-2344, or you can go to noelandassociates.com or noelandassociates.org. And uh, Kelly's under staff. You'll see Kelly Rock.